If you can, please stand for the reading of God's word. Today we're reading in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat, and as you do, if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up to Psalm uh, 103. Uh, we are walking through for this summer some psalms, some of these uh, songs or poems or hymns that our Bibles have in the middle of them, uh, and I want to encourage you to follow along with us as we walk through them. Uh, psalms are beautiful and unique in that they intermingle with the deep, hard emotions of life and the high celebratory moments of life, and they intersect those with worship. They bring us in all circumstances in life before our good, gracious God in humble dependence on Him. And so today, Psalm 103 does that in a really beautiful and unique way. So as we dive into this, I want to tell you about a conversation I had earlier this week that kind of echoed out of about four years ago conversation. Um, about four years ago, we were, there was a group of us, about a dozen of us, who were in Indianapolis at a, at a conference, and as we were just walking down the streets of Indianapolis, um, a pastor, a friend of ours, uh, he, he looks over and he goes, hey Derek, uh, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that runs through your mind? And I was like, that's a really good question. What's the first thought that goes through my mind on most mornings? And I was like, well, if I'm honest with you, Rod, it's not words. <laughs> it's kind of just a groan, like a uh, kind of thing. Uh, and, and, and this last week, we had that same conversation because with, with, uh, with Lauren and Brandon, uh, our other two people on staff, as we were working through things for the next year. And, and I, I shared with them that 
Last week, I had a moment where I woke up in the morning, and I turned out of my bed, and those groans were vocalized. And I didn't mean to vocalize them. And I didn't grunt. I actually said, oh, crap, really loud, because I thought I'd woke up way later than I intended to or meant to. Uh, And so I involuntarily shouted whatever thought was in my head uh, as I awoke. Thankfully, I didn't wake up my wife. Um, uh, But the reality is, uh, we talk to ourselves, don't we? We do. We talk to ourselves. And and, uh, although this may include the, like, you're driving in the car by yourself and you're having a conversation out loud verbally, or or you're looking in the mirror and it may not be like you see the the movies or whatnot, but you're rehearsing something, maybe verbally, maybe not verbally. Uh, You're about to have a hard conversation and you're, like, coaching yourself through it. If they say this, then I'm going to say this. I'm going to do this. How should I talk about this? What should I say? We talk to ourselves. We all do. But what about the super, very subtle conversations that we have in our thoughts? Those thoughts that zoom into our minds, sometimes whirl and spiral around, and sometimes they literally seem like they go in one ear and right back out the other one. In reality, all of us talk to ourselves. We do. We all talk to ourselves. And if you're in here this moment and you're like, I don't think I talk to myself. My encouragement to you is that you would practice silence and solitude. That you would take some time, maybe it's just five minutes a day, a few days a week, and just turn everything off and just sit there. And when you're sitting there, maybe with a journal or a sheet of paper, just become cognizant of what's going through your brain. We live in a very hurried, busy, loud, externally and internal now world that makes it hard to, for us to hear at times our own thoughts. To make it, it makes it hard for us to hear what's going on inside of us. We all, as human beings, are created as physical and spiritual beings. We have a body and a soul, and those intertwine with one another, and we interact with that in our, what the Bible would call, hearts or soul or mind, that inner being. And the purpose and point in my encouragement for us to consider what is this internal dialogue that's going on inside of you? What are these thoughts that are taking place inside of you? Is not so that we would be like, oh, okay, that's what I'm saying. I should follow my heart. No, the heart is deceitful of all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's what, that's what the Bible says in Jeremiah 17. Uh, and so uh, the intent is not for us to go, oh, what's going on inside of me? What are the thoughts? How do I like really follow my heart? No, that's not what I mean. What my intent and hope for us this morning and what Psalms 103 does a really good job of setting us up for is that when we become more aware of the internal conversation going on inside of us, we begin to purposefully interact with that conversation. That we aren't taken captive by the lies that we are told or tell ourselves and at the will and mercy of whatever thoughts that go on in our brains, but we, like Paul instructs the church in Corinth, take our thoughts captive. And then we begin to actively be instrumental participants in the inner conversation of our being. That we invite the Holy Spirit to be a present, preaching, preaching truth to our inner being. This is what Psalm 103 sets us up for. This is what Psalm 103 has for us today. 
See, Psalm 103 is interesting, and like most songs, or a lot of times when you listen to songs, there's a very personal part and component to a lot of music. Where the, the songwriter is singing from their heart, they're talking about things in a very personal way. There's also songs that are very communal. They're, they're, they're like songs that are ballads that are declaring my personal love, and then there's songs that are uh, a, a, an anthem where we're all meant to sing and echo these things together. And, and Psalms 103, centering around this, this echoing of the goodness of God, guides and instructs us to praise Him, but it starts in the inner being. It starts by telling ourselves to praise Him. And then from there moves towards together praising Him. And so I want us to start in that place. Start in that place today of going, maybe just asking a helpful diagnostic question. Do I Find my heart, my soul, my inner being praising the Lord. Is that a present, periodic, consistent, faithful script or song or conversation that takes place in your inner being, inside you? So the writer of Psalm 103 is exhorting us personally and communally that we have far more than we are most of the time, if not ever, aware of to praise God for, personally and collectively. So, main point for this morning is this. God is good, period. So we praise Him. And we praise Him personally, we praise Him communally. And he starts in verse 1 like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The word bless here in the Hebrew language means to praise or worship. It doesn't mean to like uh, come and put a blessing upon or to like give a gift in some form of like, hey, I want to bless you. Here's something I have that you would benefit from having. No, the word here it means to praise, to worship. To, to, to give praise, to give worship, to, uh, to do that in song, to do that in, in spoken encouragements and preaching to ourselves and others, to do that in, in all forms of ways, and obedience, to praise the Lord. But who's he talking to? When he says and instructs and will six times throughout this entire this song say, bless the Lord, who's he talking to? His own soul. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to himself. To the inner being, to his soul. Telling himself to praise the Lord. And the reality is, whether we're aware of it or not, there is so much to praise the Lord for. Even in life, hardship, Success, wins, sin, turmoil, depression, anxiety, sorrow, grief, jealousy, strife, envy. Celebration, success, wins, all of those things. There is reason to cherish and bless the Lord. 
oftentimes, I believe the reason we find ourselves filled with or riddled with fear and anxiety and death and depression and envy and strife and jealousy and rage is because we fail to see all that there is to praise the Lord for. And so the psalm here encourages from the get-go that every aspect of our being, encouraging ourselves, all of us, to praise Him. To turn our gaze, lift our eyes, and direct our focus towards Him for all that He has done for us individually and collectively. So as we walk through this psalm, from this point forward, this, this command to bless the Lord, this exhortation and encouragement for us to praise the Lord will remain, but the audience in his exhortation changes. And the first one is this, that we praise the Lord because God is good to me. Like say that to yourself. God is good to me. Like he is good to us individually. And that provides us means and reason to praise the Lord. And then we'll move on to the second portion, which is to turn our gaze a little bit farther out, to to zoom out a little bit and see that God is good to us communally and collectively. So therefore, we should encourage and exhort one another and come together and praise the Lord. So let's start here. The first part, first point, God is good to me. Verse 3 starts this way. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your, your youth is renewed like the eagles? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. As I said earlier, as I said earlier, the reality is he's talking to himself. And it's harder to pick this up, pick up on this in the English than it is in the Hebrew, but he uses these pronouns: your, 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 you, you, and those are all in the singular form. None of those are plural. He's not talking to a group of people here. He's talking to himself, saying, Hey Derek, who forgived your iniquity? Derek? Hey, Derek, who redeemed you from from the pit? Who saved your life? Hey, Derek, who renews your strength? Hey, Derek, who satisfies your soul? He's he's talking to himself. He's preaching these truths to himself. This is an exhortation to himself to praise the Lord. For us, this this is you. So be cautious and careful that we don't do what's very easy in this moment and go, oh, hey, man, I know somebody who needs to praise the Lord. Yeah, I got that friend, that family member, that spouse, that kid whose heart doesn't echo praise for the Lord. They're just super selfish. No, no. He, he clears the, the, the playing field right here and says, no, you. Let's start with you. Let's start with you, Father. Let's start with you, Mother. Let's start with you, Husband. Let's start with you, Wife. Let's start with you, Single Adult. Let's start with you, Teenager. Let's start with you. Talk to yourself. Remind yourself that God is good. 
The exhortation here is to preach the goodness of God to yourself. That you need, like I need, to remind yourself of all that God has done in His goodness for you. And he goes through. He goes through six ways, six specific things that God has done for you. Like you individually, you personally. He says in the first one that he has forgiven my sins. He has forgiven your sins. Like say that to yourself. That if you have come to faith in Jesus, verse 3 is true for you. Who forgave your individual sin? Rhetorical question. God. This is what 1 John 1, 8, and 10, 8 through 10 says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and the Word is not in us. Now, where do we, in moments of discouragement, failure, weakness, sin, guilt, shame, accusation, what do we do? We come before Him in confession and we remember that we are forgiven by our gracious God. That He forgave our sin. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ because in Him we have forgiveness of our sin. The second thing He says to Himself in a rhetorical question is, who heals your disease? Like Literally, He's saying, hey Derek, who healed you from sickness? And in God's kindness, we see this in the person of Jesus, that He raises the dead from life, He heals the blind, the deaf, the mute, the crippled, the bleeding, the, the feverish, the sick, the lepers, and on and on and on and on, so much that John says we couldn't write all the miracles down in all the books of the world that Jesus did in His one life. See, God is over sovereignly and is ordained by common grace his general blessings to the world and miraculous healings, the work to heal our bodies from disease and sickness. So are you in need of forgiveness today? Who is it that forgives your sins? God, are you in need of healing in some form from sickness or disease? Who is it that heals? God. Who has redeemed you from the pit? And this is specifically saying who saved your life, like literally. Who has saved your life? And I think of this in the context of David, who most likely wrote this, and his life and the many times that God literally saved him from death. And here in this moment, he's echoing to himself, who saved you from death? It was God. A rhetorical question. And for us, maybe you've not had a life or death scenario or situation, but the wages of sin is death. And first, Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says this, in Him we have redemption. Who's redeemed you from the pit? We have redemption through His blood, Jesus, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He has lavished, us on, or lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Who's redeemed you from death? Jesus. He has. It says that He works justice 
justice for all the oppressed? To hear and to say to yourself in moments of oppression or, or, or moments where you feel injustice acted against and towards you, that no injustice gets by God. That no injustice done against you slips by Him. Either now or in the future, God will execute justice for all people. And by the gospel of Jesus Christ, He will execute justice and has for you in His sacrifice in your place. Where He has shown you mercy when you deserved His justice and showed Jesus justice in your place. It says He crowned me with love and mercy. That He's put upon our head in His view and eyes as the King of the universe a, a, a royalty that is marked with His love and His mercy. Who has done that? Who has crowned you with love and mercy? He has. God. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Who has crowned you? Who has adorned your head with love and mercy instead of wrath and judgment? God. Who has satisfied us? What does it say? It says in verse 5, Who satisfies you with good? Again, a rhetorical question. We see Jesus speak directly into this when He's talking to the woman at the well who's caught in all kinds of sin. In verse 13, He says in John 4, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, in the literal well of Jacob, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, all of these things that the, the writer of this psalm is saying to himself, he's echoing these truths about uh, rhetorical questions, asking himself, reminding himself, uh, you're a sinner. You failed. Okay, who has forgiven you of your sin? Uh, because of your sin, you uh, the wages of it, the payment for it is death. Who has redeemed you from that death? Who has crowned you with love and mercy when you deserve justice and wrath? Who, who satisfies your soul even when you chase after satisfaction in the world? Who renews your strength? Who heals your disease? all rhetorical questions asked to himself that lead him to echoing this truth. God and God alone. God and God alone forgives sin. That's what they say to Jesus when he forgives the sin of the crippled guy lowered down through the, through the roof. Only God can forgive sin. Yeah. Only God can show mercy towards his enemies and adorn with steadfast, faithful love those who've rebelled against Him. Only God can heal your disease and save your life. So he goes on this rant echoing these truths about 
who God is, specifically in how He has acted towards Him. He's preaching to Himself the goodness of God. And he finishes this this portion by echoing what God says in Exodus 34. In Exodus 34, if you're familiar with the storyline of the Bible, if not, you have Genesis, the creation of all things. It all leads us up to Noah, and then Noah's family leads us up to Abraham. Abraham has all his kids. It gets to Egypt, if you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt. If not, all right. Uh, if not, read the uh, book of Exodus. Um, nonetheless, it leads them into uh, Egypt, where they're captive of slaves, and Moses leads them out, and in the wilderness, on Mount Sinai, God declares for the very first time who He is. And he specifically says, this is who I am, uh, the Lord, the Lord your God, merciful and gracious. And he goes on talking about and telling Moses who he is. And in here, he echoes to himself. And the instruction and exhortation for us today is this. Remember and tell yourself who God is to you. That God made His ways, how He acts, known to Moses and to the people of Israel. And He echoes this in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's Exodus 34.6 verbatim. A verse that my encouragement is that you would put to memory. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Why? Why are these things so significant and important? Why do we need to be reminding ourselves of the goodness of God towards you? Here's why. Because you don't deserve any of it. Who has done all of this? God. Who has He done all of this for? Us. Sinful, broken, depraved, wicked enemies of God. Those are the words the Scriptures refer to us in our sin as. And in His abundant love and mercy, in His love, in His patience, in His faithfulness, He has, we'll read in a second, in a second, not acted towards us as we deserve, but has acted towards us out of abundance of His character, not ours. If God was to act towards you in reference to your character, we would receive wrath and judgment because we all sin, disobey, rebel, are wicked, envious, evil in all sorts of ways. In our hearts, in our hands, in our words, in our attitudes. Yet even though we are such, God has acted towards us, not in step with our character, but in step with His own. And so when we feel accused, when we feel guilty of sin, when we feel sick, when we feel the 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 unfaithfulness that typically riddles our hearts, He encourages us, and He does Himself, to speak 
and remind ourselves of who God is and how He has acted towards you. My encouragement to you is, is that you would, today, take up His invitation in this song to preach to yourself the goodness of God. To preach to yourself. To speak and interact and participate in the inner conversation with God. Or, or with yourself. To speak to yourself not your condemnation, but His mercy and grace. That He is steadfast in love, abundant in mercy and grace towards you. Who, who receives these things? Who is this true for? This is true for those who come to Him and believe the gospel who come in their sin in confession or repentance and ask Him for forgiveness and eternal life. So to you, my, to you today, I ask, have you come and believed the gospel and trusted that Jesus died in your place, taking the full weight and wrath of God for you and freely gives eternal life and forgiveness of sin to you? If not, today my encouragement is that you would. And today all of these things that the writer of Psalm 103 can become true for you. Today. By your humble submission and reverence and asking Him to save you. If you have put your faith and trust in Him, I don't know if you're sorrowful, depressed, feeling guilty and sinful and con condemned today to begin taking an active role in participating in the conversation in your heart to remind yourself that God is good, that He's merciful, that He's gracious to you. But He doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop at writing a song to His own soul, encouraging His own soul to remember who God is. He zooms out. He zooms out from God is good to me to invite everyone else into the song. And the second point is this, that God is good to us. That we don't only need to tell ourselves that God has been good to us, to, to me, but we need to tell one another. That we need to remind one another. We need to participate not only in the inner conversation Echoing to ourselves the truth that God has been good to us, but we need to participate in the ongoing conversation with one another, telling one another that God has been good to us collectively. And it goes through this in verse 9 and following. And Look with me here. There's a pronoun change that takes place. Earlier it was singular, talking to his own soul, and now it's plural. Inviting you and I into the conversation, to the song. Verse 9, he says, He will not always side, which means to accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove 
our transgressions and sins from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, it flourishes, and its flowers of the field like a flower of the field. And the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting for those who fear Him. And His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commands. (coughs) The psalm continues on, and like I said, he guides us now, not personally, but collectively, to, toward praising God communally. As a group, as a group of people, now using the pronouns us and those and plural children and we uh, and those who fear the Lord and those who keep His covenant and remember His word and those who He has shown His everlasting to everlasting love, that we collectively are encouraged, exhorted, and instructed to join in the song of declaring God's goodness to all of us. How? Because for this particular group of people who have trusted in Him for the forgiveness of their sin, He no longer deals with us according to our sins. That He has every right in His justice and good goodness, not like His justice and, and that it would be right and good, not wrong, for God to act towards sin in step with His justice. He has not. He has not dealt with you in regards to your rebellion, your unfaithfulness, your sin, your deceit, your hiding, your shame, in all the forms and kinds and types of sin that riddle and ravish all of us, He has not dealt with us according to it. He doesn't repay us for our sin. God's not vindictive. He doesn't retaliate when we sin against Him. No. He's not dealt with us according to our sin or repaid us according to our iniquities. Why? Because He is so great in steadfast love. That His love is greater than all of our sin. Like collectively. Not just you individually now. All of us collectively. That His love is greater than all of our sin. So much that He removes our collective, the people who've come to Him in faith. He has removed our transgressions and cast them as far as the east is from the west. That He has compassion towards those who have wronged Him, who have sinned. That He has compassion towards those who fear Him. And he ends this little section here by talking about the difference in between us physically and much more 
spiritually, and Him. He talks about mankind as, as like the grass or the wildflowers. They're here, they have a growing season, and then it becomes 100 degrees in Texas and they all dry out and die. The wind blows them and they become tumbleweeds if you're in West Texas. That we are short-lived. Our lives are short. Our love is not steadfast, but fickle. All the way to the point where our love often doesn't even last the length of our lives. Our lives are short and our love is shorter. Yet God, in comparison, has steadfast love for us from eternity past to eternity forever, future. That His love outlasts all things. All of these things that He guides us to seeing collectively, that we share in these things, the forgiveness of our sin, that He acts towards us with mercy and grace, that He has love that far, 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 far exceeds our, uh, our fickle, emotional, wavering, unfaithful affections, that His is unwavering. And this song instructs us collectively who have received all of these things from God to communally preach these things to each other. That not only do we need to participate in the conversation personally, but we need to join in the conversation communally and tell these things to one another. That He steps into the communal role as herald, as song leader, to say, hey, let's all sing these things that are true for us about God and how He has acted towards us collectively as a group. So who has He been good to? His children, those who fear Him, the church. Are His children perfect? No. Do we always love Him like He deserves? No. Do we sin? Yeah. The difference, what he's pointing out here, is the person who has received these things, who has who's believed the gospel, trusted in Jesus, are his children, and they live with a, a disposition of reverence and worship called fear, the fear of the Lord towards God. And for those whom have believed and trusted Him and are His children and live with this reverence as a fruit of that faith, collectively, these things are true for all of us. And that He has been good to us. That He has been slow to anger. He's been slow to anger when we ignore Him. When we disobey Him. When we rebel against Him. That when our love for Him is here today, maybe here in this moment, 
and seemingly non-existent tomorrow, his love is not the same, but steadfast for us through all of life and even all of eternity. That when we deserved his judgment and wrath towards our sin, he removes it and casts as far as the east is from the west and lavishes on us mercy and grace. That he has acted towards us in compassion. In compassion to feel with us literally in the person of Jesus and to show empathy towards us in our weakness. See, because of Jesus, the gospel, that he has come and taken our place, God acts just and merciful. For all who come to him, if you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, or if you're not, you need to today. God is both merciful and justice for you. That he has executed the full weight of his justice and wrath upon Jesus in a voluntary sacrifice in your place. And he has lavished upon you his love and mercy by faith in Jesus alone. So my encouragement to you today again is if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus and you're here today, that right now if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, you sit in your sin under the full weight and the wrath of God. But God isn't content to let that go. So much that He gave His only Son that you might be forgiven and saved. Have His mercy and steadfast love. So come to Him today. Come to Him now. In humble confession, believe the gospel and receive His forgiveness and mercy and eternal life. Become His children. For those of us who've put our faith and trust in Jesus, this section specifically exhorts us in a particular direction. Yes, as a Christian, I have to be I have to value and prioritize my love for Jesus. That's what the first half of this psalm does. Preach the gospel to yourself. Are you personally praising the Lord? But the entire second half of this is an exhortation for you towards community. Echoing this reality, you need other Christians to preach the truth of God's love and grace to you. It's an exhortation towards the essential gathering of God's people together. Uh, Trellview, uh, my encouragement to you is this. Uh, like, there is no example or precedent in the Bible of a Christian who is a lone wolf. There's no biblical example or precedent of a Christian or an Old Testament Israelite who's not a part of a people. In the New Testament, deeply connected to the church. Why? Because it's foolish. Because God has interwoven us as part of something bigger than ourselves. By saying, you need the church. You need other Christians to come alongside of you and say, hey, I know your heart's not singing this right now, so let me sing it to you. 
God has been good to you. Yes, you, you sinned. But he is faithful and steadfast to forgive you. That his love outlasts your rebellion. You need the church people who love Jesus alongside of you in the thick of the, the valleys of life and on the mountaintops celebrating with you and praising the Lord. Speaking with you and you speaking with them. That you need a community of people that you can commit to and you can actively begin doing what Psalm 103 does. Preaching the truth of who God is into your heart and into theirs. Actively taking up that role of partnering with one another to speak truth to each other. Now, trouble you, we call this meaningful covenant membership, where we take active care and responsibility for one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to, to love and care for and show compassion to and encourage and to do all the things that the Bible instructs us to do for one another, including to remind one another of who God is and all He's done for us. A big place and aspect of where that takes place is right here. Right now, in this very moment, we are collectively hearing of how good God has done or acted for us and toward us. Together, we are in one moment all being reminded of how good God has been to us. And in a few moments, we're going to sing. And when we sing, it's not just a weird moment where Christians get together to like sing songs. When we sing like the 150 psalms in our Bible, they're intended to us collectively echo to one another that when we sing, we're singing to our own souls and we're singing to the person to our left and right. Telling them and them telling us of the goodness of God. And home groups at Trailview, this is where we remind one another. Where in the thick of life we share, hey, I'm really struggling right now. My marriage is weak. I don't have a whole lot of desire to follow Jesus right now. Hey, I got this thing going on with work. Can you guys pray with me? Hey, I got this meeting coming up with this family member or this friend. Can you guys pray for it to go well? Like Where we talk, encourage, and pray for, and all those things take place in home groups. If you're not in a group or if you're new here and haven't visited any of our home groups, my encouragement today is that you would come check out one of our home groups. Back there, there's a wall that shows you where they all meet and, and many of their leaders are in this room right now and would be happy to talk with you. We'd love to have you come become a part of Trailview as a whole and participate in a avenue where this communal encouragement and preaching the gospel to one another takes place. That God has been good to me. He's been good to you individually. And He has been good to us communally. And all this concludes back where He starts. At an exhortation to praise the Lord. In verse 19 He says this, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His king, kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O His angels, you mighty ones who do His word. Obey the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all His host, His ministers who do His will. 
Bless the Lord all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God has been good to you. He's been good to us. And He deserves our praise. And one of the interesting things we see here in this conclusion of this psalm is He leaves nobody out. He leaves nobody out in all of creation in His exhortation to praise the Lord. From the angels in heaven. Like, like put yourself in this place. This psalm is inviting you to tell the angels to praise God. It's kind of weird. I don't know what you want to do with that. Have fun with it if you want to. Maybe in your own prayers later, tell the angels to praise God. Uh, I think it'd be okay, according to Psalm 103. But I think more rightly what he's doing here is he is instructing and exhorting from the angels who sit in the throne room of God and constantly saying, worthy is the one who is worthy to open the scroll. to your personal individual soul. That all creatures, from the angels in heaven, to you here in the chair you sit today, at the depths of your inner being, praise the Lord. Sing His goodness to your own soul. Sing His goodness to the person to your left or right. Preach the truth of God's goodness and grace to you and to one another. Receive encouraging words of His grace and goodness from others. See, God is good, undeniably, and He deserves all our praise. In Him there's no wickedness, and He has acted out of His good character towards us. And our only response is to praise. To in reverence, obey, and sing, and speak of His goodness.